This is Kyle Healy, and you're listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. special guest, Kyle Healy, who is a husband, father, software engineer, and part-time real estate investor. So welcome to the show, Kyle. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. And today, as all the other days, we are going to start the show the same way with the Kiss Me segment, where the 402 is going to learn a little bit about you and just get to know you before we jump right into your real estate investing journey. So the question, the first question is always, what was the first album that you purchased? Yeah, so the first album that was given to me was a Linkin Park album. The first album that I actually purchased was Taylor Swift Fearless. So Shut up, really? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, it was. So. Wow, and you know, the fact that someone gifted you Linkin Park, I'm impressed. That's. Mm-hmm. Do you remember which album? Oh, I do not off the top of my head. It was many years ago. It was one of their first... Uh, first albums, but I I don't remember what exact which one it was. Okay, yeah, wow, you you mm-hmm. it's good taste, and then you bought Taylor Swift's first album. That's great. Yeah, yep. <laughs> um, what was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? Uh, so the biggest challenge for me, uh, really, um, figuring out how to scale things and kind of I I'm someone that I kind of have to figure out the whole process before I really jump in. And it took me a little bit to realize, Hey, I don't need the whole process to be able to jump in. Like I can just take this one step at a time, uh, and figure like realizing that it was just one step at a time is kind of, uh, the piece that I needed to get over because you can't figure out the entire process from the beginning. You really need, uh, to start jump in and then kind of, you'll have people around you that'll help teach you some of these things as you go. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize here that professionally, Kyle is a software engineer, and I feel like a lot of times the analysis paralysis is very real for you guys because you're a oh, absolutely type of people. Uh, yeah, I agree 100%. It definitely comes from, from that side of the aspect of trying to figure everything out before I actually jump in, and here it was you kind of had to jump in and then chip away one or two steps at a time, so... Yeah, and what what would you say, you know, at what point did you say to yourself, like, I'm just going to do it, even though I don't know everything just yet, like, I'm just going to take a step and do this. Like, at what point did you feel comfortable doing that? So to me, it was actually uh, externally driven. So oh. I had my first child, a daughter, and as I basically, as she came into the world, I was like, I need to find something to do to build basically a, a better source of income for her. Like I know I can essentially take care of myself, but if something happens to me, how do I make sure that I set her up for success in the future? Um, so that's kind of what got me over that ledge um, to be able to start actually investing and realizing that the the numbers, even though they make sense, that I, I can do this as well. You know, it's pretty interesting because I feel like most software engineers are, they, they make decent income, no? So they do. And that's one of the things where like 
if I have to, at some point, something happens to me and I no longer work there, that income goes away. So mm-hmm. I want to be able to build a portfolio that it, her future is not relying on just me currently working. And then at the same time, like, how do I work less hours and still be able to spend more time with her? Uh, and that's kind of where that thought process came from and why I wanted to find something uh, originally when I started Googling things more passive. Uh, and as we get into this, you'll realize that some of my some of this time isn't fully passive for me, but it, like I know I'm building something that as we get to the future, I can still spend more and more time with my daughter throughout this. Yeah, and then uh, to push you a little bit more, how come you didn't just decide to invest in ETFs or what are they called? Low index funds, stuff like that. So I, I was doing that before. Um, I don't have direct control over it though. And I like basically, it's like, I like to be able to see that I can basically pull this lever and that my returns go up or sometimes they go down and you realize you don't pull that lever again. But me having more of a direct impact on what what my investments do is kind of why I like the real estate aspect of things and where why I pushed uh, some of my investments to real estate instead of just kind of those broad-based ETFs and index funds. Awesome. Yeah, and I think that more people need to hear that because not everyone always gives a breakdown explanation of why they make the switch. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And so what would you say is something new that you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not know about you? I I know. So uh, the pandemic actually hit, I was deployed during it. So like when I got back, um, it was actually kind of a, a bunch of things in one here. So I got deployed I had my first daughter while I was gone. I came back and then fully jumped into real estate. So to me, like real estate is that that bug and fire that I started in the pandemic. Like I started listening to things because I had time during the pandemic while I was overseas. And then uh, I wanted to implement it for my daughter when I got back. So it's kind of a mixed bag for that question because people know that I, I like real estate, but some of my push towards real estate did did come from the pandemic as well. Uh, the other one that I can kind of give as an answer is um, running. So I, I run, I went from running kind of a decent amount. I got up to like the, uh, what do we call it? Like the half marathon. And then during the pandemic, they kind of exploded and I started running a lot more up to like the full marathon. And then even last year I was slotted to do a, like a 60 K race. So um, wow, a lot, lot longer races. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm a pretty avid runner myself. I um I didn't I haven't done a full or one of those ultras yet, but mm-hmm. my uh I did a goal of running just every day, a mile a day. Okay. That's a um, good goal. Yeah, I'm actually 5 days away or 4 days away now from hitting the goal of running at least 1 mile every single day. So Oh, congratulations. That's Thanks. awesome. Gotta yeah. stick to it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm so I'm like this close and I got I'm like pretty sick and I was so nervous that I wouldn't be able to get out of bed to do it. But like, you know, Tylenol is a magical thing. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so I like took it. I'm not big on taking medicine, but I did and I was able to do my miles. Like, okay, just one mile I can make this. There so, you go. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So have you done so like during the pandemic, you got even more into running and then mm-hmm. did you end up doing your 60 kilometer race or? No. So I trained for it and then, um, 
had some medical issues and basically mm-hmm. the doctor's like, you need to, need to cut back on running. So I went from running like almost 50 miles a week down to wow. zero for two months. Uh, and I've been slowly been able to get back into it. So it's, I mean, I'll still get there at one point. I just, I mean, obviously your, your health and your body has to come first. So I had yes. to step back from that 60 case, but I, I mean, I still run four or five times a week still right now. I just had to take that little hiatus for medical reasons. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's tough, man. That That's when mm-hmm. you're like, oh man, I've been doing a little bit too much, huh? And your body makes you stop. Like, Absolutely. You know? <laughs> oh, cool. So, and then wait, I'm sorry, but you also said that you got deployed. Where did you get deployed during the pandemic? Uh, so I got deployed right before the pandemic. Uh, oh. So I was gone from 2019 to 2020. I was actually in Saudi Arabia, um, so spent, I mean, between Kuwait and Saudi Arabia is where I was deployed to. Okay. Uh, my wife told me probably three or four weeks before I left, she's like, hey, we're pregnant. And I was like, this is awesome, but I'm not going to be there. So I was kind of nerve wracking oh, there. <laughs> so you weren't there to see like your daughter no, before? I'm, I met my daughter when she was four months old. Oh my god, did you get to FaceTime or was that... Yes, so that's... Thank God we have technology, so I did get to FaceTime with my wife during the whole experience, but I mean, it's different than being there. (laughs) Yeah, they couldn't make an exception and like send you back to the US? Ah, so it was two weeks into the pandemic, it was like the end of March, so I was basically like, if you go home, you're not coming back, Mm. Uh, and I was in a position where I... I wasn't really capable of going home at that time uh, oh. where I was within kind of the leadership role within the unit. So uh, me and probably four or five other soldiers had kids during the pandemic while we were gone and missed it, but kind of part of serving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for your service. Absolutely. Yeah. You didn't even mention that. Usually people that they put that in their title. So I'm like, Oh, I, um, I guess I missed that because we had emailed before and you might, I was like, wow, you're very efficient with your time. No. <laughs> um, so, and finally, what is your favorite quote? So my favorite quote is actually from John Wooden. It's, it takes time to create excellence. If it could be done quickly, more people would do it. Mm, that's great. To me, it kind of symbolizes that building of the journey long-term. And for me, kind of my my journey in real estate is about the long-term thing. It's not a quick get rich quick scheme. It's how do I build something sustainable for, I mean, myself, my wife, but my kids, how do I teach them about real estate and finances, like through the aspects of real estate and having properties I can actually show them the numbers on how things work. Um, that whole journey is what I like about that quote. Yeah, that it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And with all of that being said, tell us, Kyle, where are you based? Uh, so now I'm in this, it's a small little town in Ohio. It's called Hartville, Ohio. It's uh, mm-hmm. kind of northeast of Canton uh, before you get to Akron. So. Okay, and is that where you're actively investing? Yes, so I invest in the Akron area um, in probably 15, 20 minutes from where my house is. Uh, I didn't when I started investing. I mean, I started when I lived in Chicago and I bought properties in Akron, Ohio. <laughs> but we can get into that as we we go through this. 
Oh, okay. Yes. I can't wait to hear about that. So tell us, what was your first deal experience or, you know, what? You bought property in Chicago? Yeah. I so I, I lived in a suburb of Chicago, me and my wife at the time, um, I guess first, first child when we, when we were living there. So I just gotten back from my deployment in 2020 in the July timeframe. Uh, and I knew I, like I had spent all of my analysis paralysis luckily while I was deployed and I came back kind of ready to jump in uh, and knowing that I was planning at some point to move to Ohio I was like I might as well start buying properties out there because the end goal is to be out there uh, knowing that I'm not there now it all kind of forced me to create those systems properly that's a nice thought process not exactly how it worked <laughs> um, so I started basically calling anybody I knew in the Northeast Ohio area saying, hey, do you have a good realtor? Uh, and I got connected through, it was uh, one of the people I went to uh, University of Dayton with. They lived out in the area and they're like, hey, I have another person that went to the University of Dayton. You don't really know them, but he's a, a realtor in this area. I was like, okay, cool. Like, kind of give me his phone number. Let me talk to him, see what's going on. So him and I had talked, we hadn't met, and he's like, oh, we can basically, what are you looking for? So I walked him through, hey, I went looking for a two to four unit. I wanted to stay away from the single families. Uh, two to four units in the area weren't too expensive, like too much more expensive. So I was like looking for that because I, I know I want, if one side is vacant, the other one isn't and it can kind of help me out mortgage wise. So I was like, gave him my criteria. Uh, he's like, oh, I, let's start looking at properties or whatever. So he signed me up for his automated email list or whatever. So I started looking through basically was like, hey, can we look at this one? He's like, sure. He's like, can you come out here to see it? I was like, no, I live live in Chicago, like out in Illinois. I, I can't be there, but I mean, I can jump on FaceTime if you need. He's like, sure. So he goes to the property. He jumps on FaceTime. I don't have an iPhone, so I have to borrow my wife's phone because uh, that's what FaceTime is. So jumped on there, using my wife's phone to look at this property with somebody. I, I mean, I'd known him through like basically electronic means for like a month we had talked about properties. This is the first property he really looked at. And he's looking like basically walking through this duplex, telling me his thoughts on it. And I was like, the numbers make sense. The property looks good. But I started like second guessing myself like this. It's the first property. Like it, I either like something's wrong. I don't want to just jump in because this is the first property I saw. And I'm not sure that it like, am I second guessing myself? So like we finally started going through it. Ended up buying the property and hadn't seen it. I was like, okay, the numbers luckily worked out. The property worked out and I was super stoked about it. Um, but it was a little weird jumping in on the first one. Problem after the fact, I had the inspections done, everything done right, everything worked. And like three days into getting a tenant, they're like, your heaters, we need to replace the whole thing. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Wait, 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 but okay, let's backtrack a little bit yep. because I think that there's a lot of good information there, right? Okay. Like, you're basically saying that you got cold feet, but you still went through with it. So what what was the push? I mean, you mentioned you did have your daughter, so that's kind of like the foundation, right? But mm -hmm. the numbers worked, right? So why were you second-guessing yourself? Like, what do you think was so, going on? So I know for me, I was second-guessing myself because it was the first property that I had walked, essentially. So like I, he was there walking it, but like the very first one that he actually went to for me. So like I had run a ton of numbers before that I had a bunch of properties that I either didn't pencil out or I'd done the work on and 
timing didn't work. And this is the first one he had walked through. So like to me as a, a new real estate investor, I was worried that I was too excited about being a real estate investor and that the first one was more just me wanting to make progress. So that's why I ended up originally getting a little bit of cold feet there on what did I want to do? Because like jumping in, I was worried I was jumping in too fast at that point. Like I I knew I wanted to take action at this point. I'd gotten past the initial analysis paralysis, but I was worried I was moving too fast and was going to buy a bad deal because I wanted to buy a deal. Um, So to get past that, uh, yeah, I was going to say to get past that, like after, um, after I had, he had walked the property with me. I mean, I reran the numbers basically two or three times a day for the entire time from when we went under contract to closing to make sure it was a good deal. <laughs> so how did you, it, it sounds like, and here's the thing, right? Is you didn't actually physically walk it. You were just on FaceTime watching him walk it, right? Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, I, so- kind of it was based off of some of his experience of, oh, the floor looks like it's a little wobbly here, or this may need some work or so like if he didn't show me it, I was probably not going to see it. Right. And I think, you know, there, there's something to be said for the level of trust that you had in this agent, because this was someone that you met virtually through what connection that you had, but it's not like, you know, this person and you're like best buddies with them. It's like, they've been sending Correct. you deals automatically for who knows how long before finally one of them just actually panned out and mm-hmm. you're like, Hey, go check it out. Correct. Yeah. And I, I think some of it kind of came down to kind of building that, that trust with the agent. So he, um, it, we had kind of that common background and we went to the same university, but like we didn't know each other. We didn't, we were multiple years apart, so weren't even there at the same time. Um, but that was kind of the initial piece that kind of helped us build conversation. And we spent multiple, uh, I'm gonna call it even hours, like talking on the phone, going through deals of, Hey, this is what I want. This makes sense. This is why I'm doing it. So we, we did build that trust before I was like, Hey, just walk the property for me. Cause I'm not going to be there. Um, so it, it did take some time to get there, but I mean, a, a good agent in my mind will help build some of that trust with you and not just be like, here's my automated alerts. Good luck. <laughs> and how many properties would you say you looked at before you were like this one, go walk it and I want to make an offer and da 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 da. Uh, so I would say, I mean, I was probably looking at between like five to eight properties a day for almost two months before I found one that it was like, Hey, this is worth it. Um, and I mean, a couple of them we had talked about and he had given some of his thoughts and experiences on the area of, Hey, yo, we based, cause he also has investment properties in a couple of rentals. He's like, this is what I think you could get rental wise. Like rents for this property in this area. So that was helpful that we talked through a couple of them, but that was the first one I was like, Hey, I want you to actually go see this property uh, for me. But I mean, I probably, I would say I analyzed probably 120 to 140 deals before that. And maybe 10 of them I had talked to him on the phone about directly before we got to that one. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I wanted you to lay it out because I think People assume when someone gets a property, it's like the first one they looked at, and this is the home run, which is not the reality. Absolutely. (laughs) So then, okay, let's go back. So you're saying, okay, you guys finally closed. Well, 
actually, what were the financials? So how much did you pay? How did you finance it? Um, what did that look like? Yeah, so the property was listed at um, 90000 and I I offered seventy five for it. They came back, and we agreed on eighty after some negotiations. This one was a just like your standard conventional twenty percent down. I didn't really know anything financial like outside of that, uh, so I did put the twenty percent down from there, and that's how that one started. I did lean heavily on my realtor on all of the other things, like because it was out of state. He kind of pushed me towards an inspector. He pushed me towards like all of these pieces that I. I didn't know and why I think it's super important to, and this quote kind of comes back to it. If you don't know the whole way to get there, um, but you can like your realtor will help you find it. They'll help you get that maintenance person. They'll help you find a property manager. If you want one, they help me find the bank. So like a lot of this, I, I was very heavily relying on the people around me uh, to get the deal done. Okay. So now back to the, you find out the heater's broken. Yeah, so uh got the property. I originally was like, it needs a little bit of cosmetic work. So I went and tried to find a contractor. They did some initial painting and stuff. Got it finally rented out. And the tenant like three or four days in is like, hey, the heater's broken. Um, that was, it was an unfortunate thing. Like I, I knew running the numbers that this happens from time to time. I just didn't expect it within the first week of owning this property. So that, that brought back a bunch of other emotions of, hey, am I doing the right thing? Like, am I about to sink a bunch of money into this property and it's going to just not be useful or what I wanted it to be? And then I had to take a take a step back, get my emotions in check and be like, the numbers still work. This is unfortunate that I have this big expense at the beginning, but I did set aside a reserves for this property for that. So I was not thrilled that I had to dip in the reserves basically within the first week, but I did put that in. So it just took me some time to build that reserves back up. But there was a little bit of a roller coaster there of, is this the right idea? Am I doing this? Did I do something wrong? (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's important to highlight to people that like we can, because this is the first one, the first thing you've done, you already had these reservations and then boom, it's like confirmation bias, right? Like, (laughs) this is meant to happen. This is the money pit. That's it. I'm done. But now, you know, let's take another, like, backtrack here because when, what was the timeline? Because let's say if it blew out in June, it's not the end of the world, but when did this all happen? Yeah, so uh, I closed on that deal in, uh, I want to say, early October. So it, it was... It was basically not an immediate emergency, but it needed to happen pretty quick because we were running into winter. So uh wasn't June. I wish it would have been June, but it was basically as they started turning um, the heat on and started testing it out for the winter is where they like, they had some troubles with it and had to replace the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Hey, it happened. So you said it was October and this is 2020? Oh, Okay, so you've owned the property for about two years, and how's it been going? Oh, it's been good. So I've had pretty consistent renters in there. I mean, I've been able to raise rents uh, each of the years that I've had it turn over. So it's been one of my more consistent running properties. All the rest of them I've had to put in larger work into it. Uh, I would say the only other 
major problem I had with it is I did have to evict a tenant from it. And that's always one of those where like, you don't want to do that. But like, if you're going to get into real estate investing at some point, it's going to happen. Even if you screen your tenants as best as you can, like, I wish it for nobody though. (laughs) (laughs) I hear that. Okay. So how does this all tie into Chicago? Because you're living in Chicago, you're buying these Ohio properties. Yeah. So, uh, it kind of goes past my first deal on some of these, but, um, pretty much just kind of a quick run through the rest of my experiences. Uh, knowing that the first one, it, it started a little shaky, but I, I was bought in after that. I ended up having a pocket listing for another duplex from that same realtor show up in October that I closed on in December of 2020. Uh, at that point, we started looking at finally moving out to Ohio. Uh, in 2021, I bought a 10-unit apartment complex in Ohio as well. And then I turned my Chicago primary residence into a midterm rental after that. Wow. Kind of dipping my fingers in a bunch of different areas of real estate investing. Um, More just kind of to see what works and what doesn't. And so far they've all worked mostly. There's been, I mean, the Ohio properties, unfortunately, are older. So like there's just bigger maintenance pieces like trying to convert a 10-unit apartment complex from knob and tube wiring to updated electric. So had to do that. Knob and tube? What is that? It is a very old version of how electricity was run through apartments and houses in the early 1900s. It basically was an insurance problem waiting to happen, so it was worth fixing at the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Not even aluminum wiring. No, it was before that, yeah. (laughs) Most of the... um, Like, electric plumbing on that property was original 1927... Yep. <laughs> cool. Um, all right. So you're the most... Okay, so in Chicago, you bought your primary residence, and then you only recently converted to a midterm rental? Correct. Yeah. So oh. basically, as we're moving to Ohio, we're like, well, let's, let's just kind of give this a shot, this midterm rental thing, because when we don't have to move nearly as much of our stuff, I mean, just take all of your personal stuff out and put up your kind of candid pictures of flowers or whatever in there. Um, like we'll kind of see how it goes for a month or two. If it rents great, if not, we'll just sell it and move on. Uh, and it rented within like 48 hours of me putting the listing up. So I was like, Oh, I guess this works. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So, with all of your experience, I mean, it sounds like your daughter was the impetus for you to get the real estate journey going, but then you ran with it. You didn't just like, oh, one every year. It was like, boom, yeah. boom, boom. So she was kind of the, she's the underlying reason for a lot of it though. So like she got me into the first one, the 10 unit apartment building is really to me like her college fund or her first house or basically like her starter life event is what I'm using it for. And along the way, before she hits that 18 mark and needs it, like I can talk to her about her building um, and basically help her as she gets older, understand how the math works, how mortgages work and use it as a learning experience for her to um, kind of grow and understand finances, which 
to me is kind of lacking in a lot of uh, people's education. So it's something that I can just, it's an easy way for me to explain to her how all of this stuff works as well as have something for her that's a much larger financial payment in the future, but is paid off by tenants. (laughs) So, (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Um, And so what would you say has been the most valuable lesson or biggest takeaway that you had from investing in real estate? The biggest takeaway to me is definitely uh, surrounding yourself with a network of people that are interested or doing what you want to do. Uh, So like I'll kind of step through some of that is it was nobody in my family invested in real estate. Everyone was always on the, Hey, just work your X amount of years till retirement and then move forward. Um, And I, to me, I I wanted to spend more time at home with my family. So I started looking into ways to do that. Uh, So I didn't have that kind of close knit unit around me that was like, Hey, you're doing the right thing. Everyone was more like, why are you doing this? So I started going to find either like mastermind groups or local investors that are doing the same thing, or whether they're a step or two ahead or just going to these investment meetups and they haven't started investing yet. But to get kind of some of that external feedback of, hey, this, is, this isn't weird for you to do. Like this isn't a mistake to go invest in real estate. It's more of you just don't your current group isn't people that invest in real estate. So having that external feedback of people that do it as well, and also be able to bounce um, properties off of, Hey, does this analysis make sense? What are you seeing on rent numbers here? Um, And building some of that network is extremely useful. Uh, And then, I mean, it always helps to go to other meetups or have investor friends that are like, Hey, I have a good maintenance person or I have a good contact that does rehabs and, Similar concept, but more on the the business side of investing there, growing your network. And then would you say that if you could go back in time and do it all over again, that would be your first priority? Or do you have another piece of advice that you would give to someone that, you know, if you could do it all over again? I would say that would absolutely be my first priority. So uh, I kind of thought I knew that by calling a bunch of people, but it would have been 10 times easier to just look up where a real estate meetup is and then talk to people there because everybody that you already need is either there or they know somebody that does that. So to me, I spent time just trying to reach around my current network at that time and they didn't do real estate investing. So they were like, Oh, I, I had a realtor once. Um, so I would absolutely say going out and finding that network would be the first step that I would recommend for people just to kind of get you in that space and thinking that way and having connections that are already doing what you want to do and whether that's in real estate or something else that you're trying to do in life, like put yourself around people that are doing what you want to do. Yeah, that's some solid advice. And if the 402 wants to learn more about you or connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah. So my primary uh, place is on Instagram. So it's at creating generational fire. I'm also on, uh, well, I have a website. It's creatinggenerationalfire.com. And then I'm also on LinkedIn at Kyle-Healy, and I can send all of these to you as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, for making the time and being on the show. It was a lot of fun learning about you and your first investment property, and I bet the 402 took away some valuable little nuggets of information. And that is all, folks. 402. 
Did you learn something or take away a golden nugget? Then I'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend. And I'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on Instagram or LinkedIn. So follow me at First Deal Show. If you know someone that has an amazing first deal story, or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal, shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show. 402, thank you so much for listening. I love all of you and I will see you next Friday.